It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Empower yourself today with legal knowledge and follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to get access to jargon-free legal information in plain and simple English. Today's episode is supported by Red Bar Law, the go-to law firm for expert, efficient and fast legal assistance, all at a fixed cost. Go to our website at redbarlaw.com. Empower yourself today with legal knowledge and follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to get access to jargon-free legal information in plain and simple English. Today's episode is supported by Red Bar Law, the go-to law firm for expert, efficient and fast legal assistance, all at a fixed cost. Go to our website at redbarlaw.com. Our episodes are free to access. However, if you feel that you would like to support the children's charity that we are raising money for, then head over to our Just Giving page at justgiving.com and search for Hattie Savari, where we are raising money for orphaned children at SOS Children's Villages, one of the worthiest children's charities. Donate as little as £1 for a great cause. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to our podcast at Get Legally Speaking. Our legal conversation today will be a crime special on terrorism. I am joined by Senior Barrister Simon Spence QC from Red Line Chambers in London. Simon has successfully prosecuted and defended numerous very high-profile complex cases and non-fatal violent offences for many years. His cases have included a number of highly complex matters which have attracted national and international media attention. Simon is also ranked in the Legal 500. Simon, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Hattie. It's lovely to be here. Yes, it's lovely to have you having this chat with me. Not such a cuddly subject, terrorism. Um, so according to a recent report carried out by the House of Parliament, since 1970 into September 2021, there were 3,416 terrorist-related deaths in the UK, the highest in Western Europe. The security service MI5 is responsible for protecting the UK against threats to national security. The Office for Security and Counterterrorism coordinates the government's response to any suspected terrorist incidents and the counterterrorism laws are enforced by the police. So let's talk about this, Simon, and talk about what actually is the act of terrorism and what is meant by the term terrorism. Uh, terrorism is defined um, in the Terrorism Act of 2000, which Parliament passed as a very specific piece of legislation dealing with the terrorist threat. And obviously, over the years, um, the country has been threatened by terrorism of various forms. 
And it's a very wide-ranging definition, in fact, and uh, deliberately so. An act of terrorism is any act uh, of serious violence or causing serious damage or endangering life. Oh, sorry about this. That's all right. Alexa. The Alexa has gone off. Alexa decided to join in. I'll have mine on silent, but Alexa will join in. Right. There you go. That's what happens when you've got an Alexa in the room. My, my own Alexa is on silent because it starts talking during podcasts and we don't want Alexa's answers. No, cry. We want your answers, Simon. So I'm going to wait for you to press silent on it right. and I'll pop it back. Right. Here we go. Let, where were we? Sorry about that. Right. Do we need to start again? Or? No, no. We just carry on. Oh, OK. Right. Um so terrorism is um, either an act of serious violence or causing serious damage or endangering life or, or, slightly bizarrely, seriously interfering with or disrupting an electronic system. How interesting. Um, the threat has to be made for the purpose of advancing a political, religious, racial or ideological cause. And that is essentially the essence of terrorism. It's got to be uh, an offence that has a political or ideological um, purpose. And the other uh, aspect to a, an act of terrorism is that it has to be designed to influence a government or an international governmental organisation or to intimidate the public or a section of the public. Um there's one caveat to that, is that if firearms or explosives are used, uh, then the intention of influencing government doesn't have to apply. So it, it, it really covers a very wide spectrum of activity. Um, and, and I mean, I've seen that uh, described as it's another form of organised criminal behaviour distinct from organised crime in the sense that it has to have a political objective, Whereas organised crime, for example, on the other hand, always yeah. seeks, you know, to obtain financial or other material benefits. Um, so it has to have that political objective. And what you're saying is, well, actually, it also has to try and promote something religious or political for the person conducting the act uh, or people absolutely. conducting the acts. Yeah. And the, one of the things that, that I have noticed over the years in relation to terrorism is that um, offences which once upon a time would perhaps have been classified as hate crime are now being classified as terrorist acts because in the definition of terrorism, it can be for the promotion of a racial cause. So, for example, a few years ago, um, in I think it was in Finchley, uh, a white supremacist drove a car on a Friday night at a group uh, of um, Muslim men who had just come out of a mosque after Friday prayers and killed that. a number of them. Yeah. Yes. Well, that was designated as a terrorist act, whereas to my mind, that is more accurately described as a hate crime. Um, similarly, there was a stabbing of three gay men who were just enjoying a picnic in a park in Reading last summer um, that was designated as a terrorist offence. And again, to my mind, that is more properly called a hate crime. And one of the things that slightly troubles me is that the 
concept of terrorism is being rather diluted by offences which should properly be described as hate crime are being classified as acts of terrorism. And to my mind, a true act of terrorism is one that is either politically or ideologically driven, yes. as opposed to an offence which demonstrates um, somebody just hostility towards yeah. a particular sector of the public. Yeah. Because otherwise, almost anything could be described as an act of terrorism. No, I hear you. I Um, hear you. And the the importance of it is not the label you attach to it, because at the end of the day, whatever it is, is is a horrific crime. Um, But the powers under the Terrorism Act for the police are rather wider than they are for general criminal conduct, and particularly in relation to circumstances surrounding detention which are dealt with in the uh, one of the schedules to the Terrorism Act. So, for example, you can hold a detainee for longer than you normally would do if it was an ordinary crime, for example. Uh, there are uh, additional restrictions onto the access to legal representation, having a solicitor, um, even to the extent that the police can, to some extent, dictate who the solicitor is that comes and advises you. Really? Um, so we're saying and- under an, if you're being looked at being charged with terrorism, the police could sometimes dictate who the solicitor Well, they, can, they, they can't they can tell you who you have to use, but they can say you can't use X. Oh, um, that's interesting. So I've never, ever heard that in the law. It's that's very interesting. It's, yeah, it's, there are very um, specific per- circumstances in which it applies. Um, and essentially, it's if there's a, a, a genuine concern by the senior officer that the use of a particular solicitor might lead to further uh, violence. Um, uh, and that's putting it very generally. Yes. Um, but uh, there, there are additional restrictions if you're being interrogated and detained under the um, legislation of the Terrorism Act rather than the general codes of practice under uh, the Police and Criminal Evidence Act that apply to um, criminals generally. Uh, and so we do have to be very careful about how we define acts of terrorism for that reason, because it does curtail an individual's rights when they're being detained. Um, and so... Indeed. I mean, and, and that's what I was going to ask you next. You know, are acts of terrorism cases dealt with differently um, to other criminal crimes? And, and clearly, we've just outlined a few there, um, mm. a few incidents, and we're saying the, the police powers are greater... Um, you know, the person that's being charged has, you know, a lot more to abide by, i.e., for example, uh, the police can say, we don't want you using that legal representative because we feel it could be damaging to what's already going on in some form, you know, Absolutely. and that's just putting it very in a nutshell. Yeah. And, of course, the other aspect to uh, terrorism is that there are requirements on you to provide information as opposed to a general right of silence. So there's a specific oh, offence. Yeah, there's a specific offence of failing to disclose information which a person knows or believes might be of material assistance in preventing the commission or securing of a prosecution or conviction of an act of terrorism. That's very so interesting I... because the right to remain silent, and I'm going to say it because I grew up hearing it on the American films, and, you know, you, you just watch it and you just take it very lightly, but it's actually something in the UK as well, which, you know, 
has been a part of our laws in in, in criminal law, hasn't it? The right to remain yep. silent. We I did Absolutely. a podcast covering some of it, and it was very yeah. interesting. I and mean, then we're saying, in, if you're being charged with terrorist offences, then you you lose that right as well. I mean, it's very interesting. Yeah, well, it's not. This isn't directed actually. This offence isn't directed at the terrorists themselves. It's at people who may know. And how something we about what they've done. Um, and there's a positive obligation on you to disclose that information, unless you can prove you have a reasonable excuse. Um, what and that's, could a reasonable, possible well, reasonable excuse be? I know he's going to, or she is going to do something that's going to cause great harm to lots of people, or a person, mm. and I'll withhold that. Well, they it, might be under duress. Well, that, uh, that's the example I was going to give. Whether that would be considered a reasonable excuse or not, I don't know, and that's yet to be tested by the courts. Um, but it, it, the, the idea, the concept that you have to provide information is a relatively novel one in English law. And uh, a number of the uh, provisions, actually, are quite similar in some ways to the obligations on you under proceeds of crime, for example. So uh, in Schedule 5 of the Terrorism Act, there are uh, what are called disclosure orders, where you are obliged to provide information. And if you don't, that can carry a separate penalty. Um, uh, and so the the act is quite wide-ranging, and deliberately so, because obviously terrorism is a real threat to the security of the country. And the ordinary well, to the domestic... world as well, isn't well, it? Well, to the world, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's... Uh, and one of the features of the act is that, of course, it it, it, it is global. It's... Uh, it covers acts committed outside the country as well. Whereas in the ordinary course of events, in order to be guilty of a crime, with one or two exceptions, you have to commit it within the jurisdiction. The jurisdiction. Yes. Um, and so it's... The, 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 the domestic criminal law is not regarded as fit for purpose when it comes to terrorism. There has to be something additional. Um, and obviously, acts so of terrorism... How does it work, Simon? How does it work that... All of a sudden, our laws, you know, say, right, these are the laws of our land. But they were saying when it comes to terrorism and convicting terrorist acts, it could be cross-border. How do we then engage with other countries? And Or do does our laws say, right, well, our law's here. If you've flown from here to, I don't know, Europe and committed a crime and come back, we can convict you for what you've done there here. Is that what we're saying? Essentially, yeah. I know that's and, a very broad sort of yeah. Thing. No, that that that's right, and uh, I mean that that does apply to um, an ordinary offence of murder, for example. You can be tried in this country for a murder that you're alleged to have committed abroad. Uh, so it's not unique to terrorism by any means. But I think that the, the rationale behind it is that obviously you do get the rogue individual terrorist, so somebody who packs a rucksack with explosives and, and um, sets it off in a public place. Um, and sadly, there have been um, a number of examples of that. Um, but also, of course, there are highly organized international organizations uh, intent on committing acts of terrorism. And if you restrict it to just the UK, then you're not actually dealing with the threat. Um, because one of the matters that the Terrorism Act deals with is listing what are prescribed, what are called prescribed organisations. Uh, they're in Schedule Two, and if 
if you are a member of one of those organizations, you are in essence deemed to be a terrorist and this unless is you what, can show to the contrary. I hear you. I mean, and this is what I wanted to sort of discuss next, because we've seen the murders of Sir David MS, Lee Rigby and Joe Cox MP mm. to be classed as terrorism. And we've yeah. also seen groups like the Taliban be referred to as terrorist groups. But what's define these crimes as terrorist offences? And, I mean, how does the police and the authorities classify who is a terrorist and who should be defined as a terrorist group? I know we've spoken about acts and the way, you know, some acts are committed and the incentives behind them and being politically led and things like that. But, you know, it, it is... It's quite a big conversation, isn't it, to, for someone to say, right, this group is now going to be defined in our eyes as a terrorist group or this act that was that was actually carried out. Yes. I, I mean, the thing is, with, with the three examples you've given, uh, they were, first and foremost, straightforward acts of murder. Um, somebody was attacked and, the, and uh, they lost their lives. And so the, the primary offence is one of, murder, assuming the necessary intent is proved. And in all three cases, it, 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 it easily could be. Um, but of course, that's overlaid by the motive behind the killing. And in the case of all three, uh, of Joe Cox, Lee Rigby and um, Sir David Amos, the killing was for a political purpose. Uh, Lee Rigby, because uh, he was from the armed forces, and the other two, because they were members of parliament. There was no other connection between the killer and the deceased. And so it's quite right that they are labelled as acts of terrorism. But to some extent, that's an unnecessary label to attach to it, because it could be tried quite simply as a straightforward domestic murder, and it could be prosecuted as a murder, pure and simple. Now, it'll be interesting um, in the case um, of Sir David Amos's um, killing, which at the time of this recording obviously is still ongoing, uh, to see what charges he faces. Uh, one of the features of the terrorism legislation is that no prosecution can be started without the consent of the Director of Public Prosecutions. And in the case of certain terrorism offences, the Director can't give consent without himself receiving consent from the Attorney General. Um, and so there are particular safeguards. It, it does. Um, whereas, of course, for, an, for a simple offence of murder, you don't need the consent of the DPP. Uh, it can be prosecuted perfectly straightforwardly. See, if, and this is this is a question that's just popped to my mind. Say if he, you know, the authorities are heading down the route of this is a saying, right, we believe this is a terrorist act. We want to, um, you know, prosecute under those terms. And then in court is to find that it's not a terrorist act. And yet mm. they've had to go through the, as I called it, the food chain and the ladder to get the authorities to yes. sign us. Yeah. Could it change shape in court in that way, Simon? Is that something that can well, happen? It, 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 depending on the nature of the offence, then it, it could. Um, obviously, if it's if it's a, an offence of murder, then you would charge murder together with any supplementary terrorism offences uh, that you felt could be proved. Um, and certainly when it comes to sentence, um, uh, as you know, for murder, there has to be a life sentence but then the court sets a minimum term for somebody to serve. And if it's a murder in the course of an act of terrorism, then clearly the minimum term is going to be longer than it would be for an ordinary domestic murder. And so there is an incentive to prosecute it as a terrorist offence in order to maximise the sentence. 
But there are other complications, which if it's borderline as to whether it's an act of terrorism or not, then you could come unstuck as a prosecuting authority by a judge saying, well, I, I, I'm not satisfied this is a terrorist act. Um, and depending on the actions that you're prosecuting for, if it's a case where there isn't a death, for example, then if it's not an act of terrorism, you could lose the case on a legal technicality. And so you've got to be pretty confident that you can satisfy a court, whether it be a judge or jury, that the motivation is a motivation for terrorism, as I described at the start of this um, podcast, that the motive for it is political, ideological uh, or, or whatever. So if the authorities go in um, trying to prosecute, attempting to prosecute under terrorism and the court doesn't accept that that's the case, we're saying that because of technically in law, then that case could be thrown out and any further charges under any other banners would have to be brought separately? Potentially, yeah. So, for example, say say it was um, blowing up a building and no lives are lost, so it's actually a case of serious damage. Now, if the motivation is political, that is an act of terrorism. If the motivation isn't political, it, it's straightforward criminal damage. Yes. Um, now, the, the, the consequences and punishment for criminal damage are considerably uh, less yes. severe than for an act of terrorism. Um, it, it's difficult, actually, to think of a situation where an act of um, criminal damage there could be any doubt about the motivation for it, but it, it, it's a theoretical possibility. Mm. Um, and, and it really brings me back to the point I was making earlier about stretching the definition of terrorism a bit too wide. Um, because if the reason for the serious... Say, say you set fire to a mosque, for example, uh, or, or a synagogue, um, that could be described as an act of terrorism. Or hate crime. Or hate crime. That's what you're saying, yes. Absolutely. Um, and so if... It's if a you're, fine line, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 it is. It's a really, really fine line because... Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I don't know what's in the minds of people when they go ahead and they and they commit, uh, you know, crimes of this, of this nature. But as I said, if somebody goes and causes damage to any, as you said very earlier on, particular group of people or a person of a certain sect or, you know, um, way of being, then you think, well, that's surely because they dislike them. Mm. Um, I, mean, I, I, I imagine that the answer is, is a quite a simple one. You charge your act of terrorism, but you also, in the alternative, charge an act of arson with intent to endanger life or arson being reckless as to whether life or is endangered hate crime, or whatever it is, whichever second or a hate crime. Right. And so you have a, a fairly overloaded indictment with a whole raft of different offences. Um, and rather like um, a child in a pick-and-mix sweet shop, you say to the jury, well, you, you choose which you think it is. Yes. Um, and there's there's nothing wrong in principle with prosecuting in that way. Um, it, it happens in domestic criminal law. I was law just going to say, it's common that, that that takes place in that sense, you know, in that way in criminal law. Where it is, There yes. are a whole list of offences where it could be Absolutely. more. And yeah, the judge, so it doesn't we, upset the judges then when they look at the sort of indictment and think, what's going on here? You've got one of everything on here. Only, only to the extent they've got to sum, sum it all up. But um, it's very common, for example, to charge murder. But if there's a, a, a potential doubt about someone's intention, you would have manslaughter as an alternative. Yes. 
Um, similarly, uh, attempted murder or wounding with intent, or wounding with intent and unlawful wounding. Uh, th- they're all ways in which you can say to a jury, well, we're not entirely sure of what the intention is. We we believe the intention was to kill or to cause really serious harm, but it may not have been, and that's the alternative for you to consider. And that's a very common day-to-day thing that one sees in criminal cases. And the same can apply to terrorism offences, where you charge the act of terrorism, uh, but also, as a safeguard, you would charge what I would call an ordinary criminal offence, reflecting the same conduct, and say, well, if you're not sure that there's a political motive behind this, nevertheless, you can still convict of uh, criminal damage, arson, whatever it is. Hate crime or other, uh, yeah. under other banners. Now I get it. Well, there, it's all it's all very, very interesting. And I mean, you know, we could never unpack it in 20, 25-minute podcasts, but this was an introductory chat. And it and it just, I, I literally, I can think of about 50 questions that have sprung into my mind as we're speaking about, <laughs> you know, but what about this? And what about in that situation? What happens with... But, it's been so useful to have this chat, Simon. I mean, it, it really, for Good. me, I find it a very interesting topic. And it's very interesting how you sort of said, the, you know, explained the overlay between what, you know, where it's not quite terrorism and it could be hate crime or it could be criminal damage or it could be other things and, and how the the sort of terrorism as a term and what what's being convicted under terrorism has just stretched and stretched and stretched. But it it is, it's incredibly um interesting but for any help and advice relating to terrorism you can visit the gov.uk website and search for the national counter-terrorism security office who provide free help and advice to businesses and local communities with guidance on security and details on local awareness as much as, as well as much much more on this topic but simon thank you so much for having this chat with me today Thank you very much. And and obviously Alexa tried to get involved there, but we didn't quite allow it to happen. <laughs> but uh, that that's all dealt with. And what I'll say to our listeners is don't forget to click and subscribe to our podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube by searching Gets Legally Speaking. Also visit our website at getlegallyspeaking.com. Thank you for listening. Empower yourself today with legal knowledge and follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to get access to jargon-free legal information in plain and simple English. Today's episode is supported by Red Bar Law, the go-to law firm for expert, efficient and fast legal assistance, all at a fixed cost. Go to our website at redbarlaw.com. Our episodes are free to access. However, if you feel that you would like to support the children's charity that we are raising money for, then head over to our Just Giving page at justgiving.com and search for Hattie Savari, where we are raising money for orphaned children at SOS Children's Villages, one of the worthiest children's charities. Donate as little as £1 for a great cause. Thank you. Empower yourself today with legal knowledge and follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to get access to jargon-free legal information in plain and simple English. Today's episode is supported by Red Bar Law, the go-to law firm for expert, efficient and fast legal assistance, all at a fixed cost. Go to our website at redbarlaw.com.